Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald. Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick and tonight we have a very special guest for you. He is a freaking contributor to the Storyteller's Vault, the host of Werewolf the Podcast, the Chief Operations Officer of High Level Games, as well as the Administrator for the Inclusive Gaming Network. He is Josh Heath. Josh, how are you? I'm doing really well, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm excited to have you as well, Josh, because we are kicking off our Rage Through August. This is going to be our month-long look at Werewolf the Apocalypse, and who better to have on this show than you? Now, Josh, our listeners don't—typically with our listeners, we cover the World of Darkness mostly on Vampire the Masquerade and, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. So this is really a new game for some of our listeners. I happen to have played Werewolf. I spent one summer where I played a hell of a lot of Werewolf, and it was a lot of fun. But this is going back to 1995, so it was a long time ago. So for those who don't know, Josh, tell us, what is Werewolf the Apocalypse? Werewolf the Apocalypse was the second game that White Wolf produced. So they produced Vampire the Masquerade, and then their follow-up was obviously going to be Werewolves, because that was the next monster that they were going to go with. But Werewolf is an interesting game because it's focused on the conflict between tradition and modernity and the conflict between uh, environmentalism and uh, societal advance and this conflict of being a monster and yet also having lots of human drives, needs, and a sense of belonging within a world that is both spiritually awake and grounded in a sense of anger and fight to protect the world. It's a very complex game that I think is one of the uh, one of the best ones that White Wolf ever produced. You know, I, I can say that the summer that I spent playing it, I played my favorite tribe, the Fianna, and had a wonderful, wonderful time. You mentioned um, protecting the Earth, Guardians of the Earth, is always how I saw werewolves. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, so werewolves are a um a creature that is both spiritually awake so they have a spiritual side and a physical side and they spend all of their time or a large portion of their time trying to protect gaia the earth mother who they believe is a living um, conscious being who is the source of all life and all existence in the universe and they are fighting against a being called the worm who is a corrupted source of entropy that is slowly corrupting everything within the world and trying to devour Gaia and the werewolves are doing their best to protect the earth and fight against the worm wherever it breeds wherever it dwells you said werewolf was the second game in the world of darkness line that was released when was werewolf originally released I believe it was released in 1992. You'd have to ask that because now I'm not 100% sure that's correct, but I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm close to 100% sure that it was 92 that it came okay. out because Vampire was 91 and then I think 92 Werewolf came out. And Werewolf is currently on what edition? The fifth edition is currently in production. So the 20th anniversary edition or the fourth edition, as some folks might call it, is the current edition but we're very very close to having uh, a fifth edition at least relatively close because it still might take another year or so and i know we've had matthew dawkins on a couple times and he's just hinted a little bit about some of that stuff so 
We know 5th edition's coming. I personally am very excited for it. With Werewolf having so many editions, I know there's been a lot of changes through the years, as as it should, because it's always being updated for the time. Uh, prime example being how much Vampire has changed. So tell me a little bit about some of the differences that we see from each edition. About That's such a good question. One of the interesting things about Werewolf is it actually was in some ways, the most consistent of the games, edition to edition. Uh, unlike Vampire, which started off very much about being an Anarch and fighting against the Camarilla, and then kind of became open to both the Sabbat and the Camarilla as options that were kind of the default for most players, Arulf has always been fairly consistent in that the game was about being these uh, warriors for Gaia, fighting against the worm, which changed in the editions has really been a, a very subtle shift and instead of being about um the early kind of shift and uh your first rite of passage and your first just becoming a werewolf which is what the initial edition uh, started as it slowly shifted so that you become a little bit more experienced um as the editions go along where the assumption is that you're a slightly more experienced werewolf in some ways as editions have gone on um, as well as there's been some subtle changes in how the worm works, the worm being the major antagonist. So it's a great question, and it um, it's hard to say in broad stroke terms what those changes have been, but there's been lots of little right. subtle changes addition to addition. Okay. Now, in, in Werewolf, or in, sorry, in Vampire, when, when you're creating your character, you have clans. What is it called in Werewolf, or is there something similar? Werewolf has a really similar setup. Uh, you have tribes, and tribes are both your uh, your spiritual home as well as your um, direct ancestral relations. So it's a tribe in a human sense in that you are actually related to other people within the tribe that you are in. But there's also a spiritual element there that there's a particular tribal totem that you follow. So there's a bit of a religious slash animist element. And you can join a different tribe if there's one that you were born to that doesn't quite fit your interests or fit your um, particular viewpoint. You could actually petition another tribe to join them. Uh, but tribes are that uh, that center for werewolves, as well as some other elements like your auspice, which is your moon phase. So your tribe is a big element, a big element of your identity, as well as what your um, auspice or moon phase you were born under and then as well, you, the breed that you were born as, either if you were born as a human, if you were born as a lupus werewolf, uh, wolf, I should say, or born to two werewolves as what is called a metis, um, which is basically a, uh, a werewolf born in Krinos form and raised within Garu society, but considered an abomination uh, within that society as well. So it can be a very difficult sort of, uh, of life having grown up as a you mentioned the term Krinos. What What is Krinos? Yeah, so werewolves have five forms, and they shift between those five forms. Those five forms are Hamid, which is your basic human form, Labro, which is sort of like a Neanderthal um, human, uh, slightly werewolf features to you, a bit like Lon Chaney's werewolf, uh, if uh, you wanted a uh, physical uh, visual of that. Sure. And then... Krinos form is the war form. It's the massive um, traditional kind of werewolf uh, that looks like a half wolf, half man, big teeth, big claws, um, ready to devour anything that they see. Um, and then you've got your 
uh, let's see, what's the other awesome form? The um, now I'm not going to remember the name, uh, but you've got your lupus form, which is the last form, which is your wolf form, and then there is a large wolf form as well, and for some reason, hispo, hispo form. Um, yes. That is that last form where you are a, a massive dire wolf. Do are werewolves able to shift between those forms? They are, yeah. They actually have the ability to shift whenever they want to. So unlike traditional uh, movie werewolves that only shifted on the full moon, werewolves have the ability to change their form whenever they would like to. So they regularly shift through all five of those forms. It can be a little bit difficult to shift into some of the uh, intermediary forms. So Glabro and Hispo are actually more difficult to transform into. Um, but werewolves have the ability to shift between those fairly easily. In Vampire, we have generation, and that obviously shows us the power of the blood and, and the power of the creature itself. Is there a system like that in Werewolf? Sort of. It's a little bit different. Uh, so Werewolf is based around a system of what's called rank. And rank is what you gain as you go through the game. So there's both regular experience points and rank. And rank is your sort of in-world world uh, rank as it were there's a hard, really not a better word for it of how you grow or how you are considered more important as time goes on um so you start as a cub and you go all the way up to potentially legend which would be the highest level rank um so legends are the most powerful werewolves in existence um unlike vampires werewolves aren't made werewolves are born so werewolves are born and they age just like humans do usually they live a little bit longer uh, if they survive all the wars and fighting that they're involved in but um, going through that process from cub to legend would be a lifetime's worth of uh, fighting basically i seem to remember from the many many moons ago when i played werewolf that the rank system was one through five is that still how it's done yes and that is actually one of the bigger changes addition to addition in First edition rank was almost like a, an experience system from the original Dungeons and Dragons days, where you would get hundreds of uh, renown as you uh, the more things you defeated. So the more things you killed, the more uh, XP in world XP basically you got, and you would rank up, and you would go from one, two, three, all the way to five, or potentially to six, which is that legendary status. Um, but as the game has gone on, it's gotten different. The way renown is given is different. So now it's a little uh, less. You only get one or two points of renown uh, per thing that you've destroyed. And that slowly allows you to accumulate that rank and considered more um, tenured, I guess, would be a good way of putting it within the Garu Nation. When we sit down to play Vampire at the end of the night, Storyteller rewards experience points. It sounds like Renown at one time might have been similar to that, but my assumption, and this is purely an assumption, Josh, because I have not read my 20th anniversary copy of Werewolf, is that the Renown is, you, you earn it by doing those things, but it is different than the experience points you would earn as for playing that character? Yes, which gets confusing. Yeah, that's but why I wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, you have traditional experience points, which are what you use to advance your character in every way you would in Vampire. Um, and then you have Renown, which Renown really is only used to track what gifts you are allowed to gain, but also the kind of responsibilities and honor afforded to you within the social structure of 
the uh, of the game. So it's an in-world system that also has out-of-character sort of implications. It's definitely a, a, a bit odd. But once you get your head around it, it's definitely pretty cool. Yeah, and I couldn't remember exactly. That's why I wanted to ask. I know, especially fans of Dungeons and Dragons, love magical items. They love having those big swords that do amazing things when you use them. Are there magical items in Werewolf? And if so, what are they called? Yes, there are, and they're called fetishes or talons. Um, so fetish being a more archaeological tor- term or anthropological term for a culture's magic artifact. And werewolves create these uh, to do lots of different things. They have a specific type of weapon called a clave. The clave is a silvered weapon that has a, a spirit imbued within it. Um, so most of these fetishes have spirits attached to them, but a clave specific, specifically has a very powerful spirit uh, imbued within it and crafted inside of it. And with the silver, it becomes a weapon that does aggravated damage and can be really brutal. Um, so if you're interested in that giant weapon sort of, uh, of role-playing, having a clave, a grand clave, is definitely the way to do it. Josh, you said the grand clave, or the clave itself, is, is typically a silver weapon. I thought silver was bad for werewolves. It is, which is why it's scary for them when they do decide to, to use a, a clave, because this is a weapon that can kill werewolves. And the reason they use these often is so that they can fight other werewolves that have been corrupted by the worm. So there are werewolves, there's an entire tribe of werewolves called the Black Spiral Dancers. They're sort of in complete opposition to regular uh, werewolves. And they often use these claves specifically against those enemies. Um, So there is some downside to holding silver, but it doesn't hurt you unless you actually are touched by it. So they carry these in battle they have a, a little bit of negative effect to their gnosis or spiritual power, but then they're able to fight these other werewolves uh, effectively by doing so. Black spiral dancers. Now, that is a term that I've I've heard a lot, especially since you know listening to your last show. Uh, you and Carrie both were talking about dancing the black spiral, um, but this is a group of werewolves that have fallen from grace. Wasn't this the White Howler tribe? It was, yeah. Back in the day in Scotland, back when, um, before it is modern day Scotland, there were a group of people called the Picts. And the Picts are a group of people that we don't actually know a whole lot about. And we're not really sure what happened to them because they seem to have disappeared off the uh, off the face of the earth. Uh, it may have been because of the Romans. It may have been because of the, Brit- uh, the Britons. It may be just uh, that they are actually still there within the Scottish people. And it's unclear what happened to the culture but in the werewolf game they took this mystery of the picks and they said well what if there was this entire tribe of peoples that had werewolves among them called the white howlers and what if they disappeared because they thought that if they went to the home of the worm itself and attacked it and killed it that they would be able to put the world back uh, on the right path and get rid of all the corruption and so they foolishly, as an entire tribe, decided to go and uh, try and attack the worm where it lives and ended up uh, all falling and becoming a corrupt uh, tribe in the process. Fallen heroes. Yes. And their story is really tragic because they tried to get all the other Garu to go with them and no one would, uh, would join them. They went as an entire tribe with no allies 
Um, so it's definitely a very tragic story. Is it possible to play a Black Spiral dancer in the game? It's not really designed <laughs> to be possible to play them. So uh, it is, there are certainly enough resources out there that if you wanted to play a Black Spiral dancer, you could. And I actually think it would be really interesting to try and play a redeemed Black Spiral was trying to make up for what they've done. So there's some interesting story there if you're willing to dive into some dark topics. Yeah, and and I know the Black Spiral. I've always I've always like I've always air quotes here like the Black Spiral dancers, especially in the fact that they were absolutely trying to do what the werewolves were supposed to be doing in defending Gaia and and ideally smoting the worm in one one swoop and and just their story is so tragic and is so neat to read. Um, and I think the Book of the Worm goes into quite a bit of detail about them, doesn't it? It does. And there's also a, an entire tribe book that came out with the 20th anniversary edition called the White Howler Tribe Book, which is fantastic. Oh, it is wow. one of my favorite uh, parts of W20. So I would recommend that in a heartbeat for folks that are interested in them. I didn't realize that that was out. That's cool. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> Great. Another book I need to buy. <laughs> Let's say you sit down, you you decide you want to play a game of werewolf. How do you, obviously, it's a white wolf game. It's a world of darkness game. It uses the dot system like like Vampire does. Um, but how do you go about making a character? So that is a great question. Um, usually I tell people, decide what cultural group you're most interested in representing in the game. So pick your tribe first. Um, and they the tribes are generally... I would say stereotypes, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, of right. particular uh, real-world cultures. So there are Ghana, who are a Irish um, group of werewolves, and then there are, say, the Fenrir, who are uh, Scandinavian and German werewolves. You can kind of go around the world and say, well, in this part of the world, what species uh, of wolves lives there? Um, what type of people live there and what I can find a tribe that is effectively associated with that group of people. Um, that is a good place to start. And then you decide what role you want to have in uh, werewolf society, which is determined by your auspice or your moon sign. And there's five of those different moon signs. And those are the things that I usually lean on with people. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a warrior? And you want to be the Arun, the full moon. Do you want to be a storyteller? You want to be a galliard or those um, who are almost full moons who are um, the uh, warrior uh, poets? Or do you want to be a, um, a mage? The Theurges are excellent mages and they're um, a crescent moon. Or do you want to be a half moon who's a, a phylodox, a, a peacemaker, a, um, what's a better term, a lawyer almost in effect? Uh, for the society. They're the ones that tell people what the rules are and why you should be following the rules. Do you want to be the trickster, which is the ragabash, the no moon? Um, and usually with those, one of those five things, people get a general idea of what set of, sort of character concept they have based on their tribe and the auspice, and then they can build off of those two things. You mentioned um, Fenrir as a tribe. Is this what was once known as the Geta Fenris? It is, yeah. And so okay. uh, the get the get of Fenris is their official tribal name. But um, whenever I refer to them, I refer to them as the Fenrir only because get is sort of a pejorative word. It's odd that they would call themselves that. So in the revised books, in the uh, 20th anniversary books, they refer to themselves as a Fenrir. Um, it's just my default at this point. Oh, no, that's that's fine. I just wanted to make sure I, I understood that there was 
that going on. And I know that having listened to your show a few times, I know that there's you guys, you and Carrie do a great job of calling out some of the books and and for what was done. And I and Nolan and I talk about this quite a bit about the stuff that was written in the 90s doesn't come forward very well. Uh, there's some oh. stuff that was there that you just kind of have to go, whoa, holy cow. <laughs> and I know the you White, and Carrie talk about that. We do. And I'll give White Wolf a lot of credit. And I don't necessarily give them as much credit on my podcast as I'd like to sometimes <laughs> because White Wolf was very progressive for the day. But looking back on it from a 2020 lens is that some of what was progressive and transgressive in a good way back in the 90s is now really not okay and there's some cultural insensitivity and there's some yeah. um ableism and some other elements like that within the game i think there are challenges that can easily be overcome in telling a good story but reading the older material you just have to be uh, ready for that and ready for some things that you're going to look at and go oh i wouldn't necessarily use that term or uh think of things that way but um it's a good way of of creating some healthy conflict i think in the game as well i would agree with you especially with looking at that from that lens and understanding that this was written in this time period this was acceptable then it's not acceptable now but it was then and i know vampire has a lot of that stuff as well um in fact i if i remember correctly there was an episode in this probably a f- several episodes ago now where you and carrie were talking specifically about the wendigo and the octena we um we generally have a lot of respect. I, I had um, I have a, an interest and uh, supportive kind of focus towards indigenous rights, um, and try my absolute best to be respectful of indigenous cultures, particularly First Nations and um, American indigenous cultures. And uh, these particular tribes are very interesting because they are, in some ways, a very good and positive representation of Native American cultures and beliefs, and in other ways. They offer a bit of a problem because one, their tribal names are are either taboo names that shouldn't be spoken, or they're uh, holy names that shouldn't probably be spoken. Um, so we usually refer to them as older brother and younger brother. Younger brother being the W tribe, and older brother being the Uktena, um, just to be a little bit more uh, respectful for the terminology that was used. I do think, um, looking back, especially at these two games, Werewolf and Vampire, and, and you actually mentioned it earlier in that White Wolf really was ahead of their time when it came to inclusivity in their games because they were the, some of the first role-playing games that they addressed homosexuality, they addressed, they had women NPCs that weren't just... Uh, horribly written they were there was some good depth to him that like durgason happens to be one of my favorite characters and she's i think she's fantastic um but as we've stated there's some stuff that you have to remember these were books written in the 90s yeah absolutely there are some really deep and amazing characters that make up this world uh and some of the fiction there's a, a fiction book that came out for werewolf the apocalypse really early on called breathe deeply that has two uh, queer characters, um, I should say gay, because that's how they're referenced in the book, two gay men that happen to also be werewolves. And their relationship is a little bit illicit, but also it's really respectfully written and really honestly written in a way that just isn't portrayed uh, or wasn't portrayed in the 90s in most media. So 
it's definitely, uh, they were very, very progressive, progressive, particularly for uh, related uh, topics at the time. So I give them a ton of credit for that. So but let's get back to werewolf because that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, okay. So let's say what, so I have my character created and my friends are sitting at the table. They're ready to play. We have our storyteller and anyone vampire. When we have a group of people sitting down together, they're going to be a coterie. What is it called in werewolf? Werewolf, you have your pack. Your pack is like the smallest unit of your social um, social system within a werewolf game. So the awesome thing is you've got this built-in reason to be working with another, which is always a hard thing in role-playing games is why are all these people together? What motivates them? What brings them together? What makes them um, need each other? Well, a pack needs to be there because a pack is the smallest social element within werewolf society. And together you are all formed around a specific totem or spirit that supports your pack. Your pack is supposed to go around and do specific deeds or protect specific uh, areas of the spirit world or the real world or uh, attack enemies of the uh, Garu Nation. Whatever it is, you're supposed to go out there and make a name for yourself as this pack. So is this... Uh, again, just knowing how White Wolf pulls on history or, or just actual things, is is the pack set up like a, a very typical wolf pack in that there is a very dominant leader, an alpha, a beta, and so on? It is It's set on uh, what is actually an outdated view of wolf packs. Okay. So a traditional view of an alpha and uh, a beta and so forth and so on isn't necessarily accurate because most wolf packs are family units. With a father and a mother who happen to be, they're the parent, so obviously they're the ones in charge. And then their children are just kind of um, supported by the alpha. Um, so it's in- an interesting mix in that a werewolf pack is both kind of a human system where we have this view of the alpha being the most powerful one in charge, and the other people beneath them being maybe a little bit weaker physically or uh, not quite as capable as that one capable leader. Um, so you do have an alpha, and then you do have a beta or like a second in command, and then there are some other roles that people might fill in um, depending on the size of the pack. And I know in Vampire we have the masquerade. We have to protect our. The vampire has to make sure they're not breaking the masquerade. These are these are monsters. These are creatures who can shift into these massive, massive werewolves and do some incredible damage and feats of strength. Is there something that they're beholden to, like a masquerade? Is uh, what, what what would happen if the average human saw a Krynos werewolf? The advantage that werewolves have uh, is that at one point in time, they were really uh, horrible to humanity and used to kill humans on a regular basis. Humanity has a built-in fear of werewolves. It's called the delirium. That fear makes them completely freak out and almost forget uh, what they've seen and try to pass it off as, oh, I saw a giant bear or I saw a a guy in a wolf mask or something like that. But werewolf society has something called the veil, which is uh, this idea that we shouldn't tell other people what we are because there are some humans out there that remember, uh, even with the delirium, and there are some humans that want to kill all of the werewolves. So have to be careful they have to protect the veil but at the same time they have the advantage of the delirium so it's 
a little bit more difficult for humans to remember that they saw a werewolf if something were to happen. Who hunts werewolves, Josh? Who does a, a werewolf have to protect themselves from, aside from agents of the worm? Uh, I know vampires worry about the Society of Leopold or the Inquisition. Is that something werewolves would have to worry about? Werewolves do also have to be uh, careful that they don't uh, run afoul of the government of Project Twilight or of uh, the Society of Leopold. There are members of the Society of Leopold that hunt werewolves. They also have to watch out for Pentex, which is an organization that is a worm-affiliated um, company, uh, a mega corporation, effectively, that is going out of its way to slowly destroy the world. And Pentex is probably the largest villain for werewolves that is out to get them and out to kill them. But there are also some smaller groups like um, DNA, which is a group that I was just talking about with Carrie on our Book of the Weaver episode, which will be coming out pretty soon. Um, and they are a group that believes that werewolves are uh, a disease. They have to kill uh, or at least understand the d- disease so that they can cure people of this genetic abnormality that they have. Um, there are also some other organizations out there like the Seventh Generation, who are a group that hunt werewolves um, and um, try and corrupt their children. So they're pretty evil. Um, and there are lots of other groups like that that act as uh, antagonists that either hunt werewolves or are hunted by werewolves in one form or another. How do werewolves view vampires? They really dislike vampires. <laughs> werewolves see vampires as agents of the worm, even if they don't realize that they are. So while it's as the uh, general view, there's actually a lot of examples of werewolf-vampire crossover and uh, so you'll see in a lot of books that there will be a werewolf that has a vampire buddy and things like that. And uh, that generally goes away from the genre, uh, the official genre. But uh, it still happens every now and then. I seem to remember reading about a tribe of werewolves, the Black Furies. Now, if I remember correctly, the Black Furies only accept women into their tribe. Is this correct? That's right. So the Black Furies are based on the old Amazon myths of Greece. And so these, uh, pr- this particular tribe is women only, um, and they are Greek descent, um, but there's some expansion of that as, um, as people have moved around a little bit. So uh, while a large portion of the tribe are Greek women, uh, there are some other elements that are part of the tribe as well. And some tribes that, for whatever reason, may have pushed out a, uh, a member of their tribe that is a woman, they may join the Black Fury tribe. Um, as a uh, a tribe that would uh, protect and ensure that they are uh, that they survive. Now you're, we're going to test my memory and see if I can remember this correctly. Uh, there was a member, a vampire by the name of Theophana, who was a, who was a member of the conspiracy of Isaac, which would be the destruction of the Cappadocian clan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Theophana, if I remember correctly, if memory is serving, was an oracle who was protected, and she's a Malkavian vampire, and this is the important thing to note here, but was protected by a pack of Black Furies. So why would we have a vampire be protected by this tribe of Black Furies, or this pack of Black Furies? There's a couple of potential reasons, and I don't remember the canon reason off the top of my head at this stage. (laughs) A couple of reasons might be that she could have been kinfolk, which is those humans who are related to werewolves, um, they are um, special because they are, um, werewolves have to have um, relationships with kinfolk to have other werewolves. 
as well as they carry the culture of the tribe um, from generation to generation. So kinfolk are really important. That might be one reason. The other reason might be that oracles are really important to the Black Furies. And this idea of this particular oracle may be connected with them um, for either one of those two reasons. So um, I'm not sure which is the canon reason, but those are the two that I would see. Well, like I said, I'm I'm testing my memory here to make sure I remember that correctly. Um, I'm fairly certain that's how it went down because uh, we played through the Giovanni Chronicles and I ended up doing a lot of reading about those conspirators because I thought it was fascinating. Um, uh, you mentioned kinfolk. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. What What is the significance with, with the kinfolk to Garu society? Yeah. Um, so as they are written and as they should be are two completely different things. Um, so kinfolk are supposed to be really important in that they are supposed to be those family members that you have to take care of and really ensure that they are protected because without kinfolk, you can't produce any more werewolves. Um, so that's one reason why to protect them as well as them being your literal mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and things like that. Um, they are the family members that haven't become werewolves but are still really important. They are able to see you in your Krinos form and your sh other shifted forms and not freak out and not uh, lose control. Um, so they are both be protected and both need to be protected at the same time. Um, so they offer uh, an interesting kind of aim mechanic where you have to spend some time worrying about oh, what are my kinfolk doing and you have to protect them but at the same time a lot of werewolf games kind of uh, avoid them and a lot of the books avoid them because it's it takes away from the war elements and you're instead focusing on what my family is doing it can cause some interesting conversations to come up um, i really enjoy bringing kinfolk into my games but the books have ignored them sadly to their detriment it's always interesting when you have that outside influence on a character who, hey, this is important. You do need to be taking care of this. Uh, I know you're trying to do this task, but you still have this over here you need to deal with. So I, I would agree. I think things like that are very important. Um, vampires use blood to power their disciplines, to power their abilities. Do werewolves have something along those lines that they use to power their abilities? Do they have abilities? do so um werewolves have something called gifts and gifts are effectively like disciplines but gifts are given to werewolves by spirits spirits are the ones that impart gifts upon um werewolves they have to go and petition like a spirit of a tree or spirit of fire or a more powerful spirit and say can you give me this particular power that has a specific effect and you have to have enough rank to gain those gifts so werewolves have three power sources, as it were. They have willpower, which both vampires and werewolves have, and all, all regular humans have willpower as well. They also have gnosis, which is their spiritual connection or uh, their connection to the natural world and the spirit world. And then they have rage, which is their primal anger. And you cannot use rage and gnosis in the same turn in most cases because are kind of diametrically opposed to one another, where your spiritual power and your uh, righteous fury shouldn't really necessarily play well with one another. Um, so werewolves are really that dichotomy of, I'm a spiritual being, but I'm also this raging monster. How do I balance those two things? And gnosis and rage are the PowerPoint 
help you determine uh, which of those you are balancing in, in what way and how effectively you're doing that. Another term that I've heard recently that that I heard uh, Adam Simpson and Terry Robinson talk about it when we had them on our show, uh, there's the Umbra. And I know the Umbra plays a big part of werewolf society. What is the Umbra and how do werewolves access it? Yeah, the Umbra. So I've I've obliquely referenced it several times. You have, I know. <laughs> uh, the spiritual elements of werewolves is because of the Umbra. The spirit world and the Umbra are the same thing. It's a reflection of our real world uh, with spirits more alive and active and present than they are in our real world. Um, and there are layers to the Umbra. There's what's called the Penumbra, which is the spirit world that's really close to the real world and represents the specific reflection of the real world. And travel to that pretty much everything in existence connects to in one form or another. And the Umbra is, in my view, the coolest part of Werewolf because I love the spiritual elements of Werewolf and I love traveling into the spirit world and uncovering these ancient secret truths and these horrifying um, things that are waiting out there in the darkness to get the werewolves. Um, I find all of those things really, really fascinating. So how do they get to the Umbra? There's what's called the Velvet Curtain, or um, um, there's another term that is just... Um, Oh, wow. Well, we'll just call it the Velvet Curtain for now. Um, it's the not gauntlet. the veil, is it? Um, no, it's the gauntlet. The veil okay. um, is, is, I that... think, a wraith term. Yeah, I, say. I think I was thinking wraith there. It, and it's funny because some of these terms are used in, in each game, so it gets complicated when you're like, which one is this? Um, so crossing over through uh, the gauntlet is a difficult task that werewolves have to use a reflective surface something silvery or a mirror or something like that to uh, travel into the spirit world. Um, and once they get there, um, they are fully within the spirit world and they can travel to other places within the spirit realm. That first transition is pretty difficult. Um, and in early editions, it was possible to get stuck in the gauntlet, um, which is definitely not a good thing uh, to get stuck in that space between. Yeah. And I know that, um, there are creatures in the Umbra that, that are dangerous to werewolves, aren't there? Yes. Yeah, most of the Umbra is dangerous um, in one form or another. So when you have these spirits, spirits live in a world that is completely different to our own, but a reflection of our own. And their whims and desires and things like that are totally inhuman. And there are monstrous spirits that live within the Umbra, both um, that are not officially against werewolves. And then, of course, the worm spirits themselves called Banes. And Banes are all the dark and horrible things within the world. Their pollution, their anger, their pestilence, their, um, all the vices that humanity has have reflections as Banes. And those things exist in the Umbra, and werewolves believe it is their duty to go out and destroy those things. Some of those things are really freaking powerful, and they will um, crush werewolves if they're not careful. And so they have to choose their battles wisely. Speaking of, of evils that the werewolves have to fight in, in and outside of the Umbra, 
what can you explain to me uh, what are the femori? Oh, good question. So the femori are manatee. Um, they're humans, sort of, usually. Um, people that have been infected with banes, with these evil spirits that serve the worm. Um, so these spirits uh, enter a human um, host, they slowly um, them. Or what often happens is a person that um, is doing things that corrupt them attract a bane to them, um, and then this bane uh, ultimately will merge itself with them, and they'll become what's called a femori, which is basically a human with grotesque powers or mutations or these things that have, that have corrupted them from the inside. Um, there's an entire book called Freak Legion, which um, is a black dog game book, so be careful if you get it. Um, but it describes some of their powers, and they're effectively like dark mutants uh, is a good way of describing them. Is there any relation to the the femori and the femorians from Irish mythology? Only really um, obliquely. Like the Fianna have always fought against the femorians, which sort of ties into that um, that legend. But they aren't really directly connected with one another, um, except that kind of tenuous tie. There's there seems to be. Especially with the with werewolves being uh, protectors of the earth, Gaia's warriors, there's a lot of um, uh, drawing on uh, pagan religions for this game, isn't there? Yes, yes, there is. That's one of the reasons why I love the game. So <laughs> it's one of the reasons that absolutely hooked me into werewolf many many years ago. Josh, what does an average game look like? When you sit down, you're ready to play. Uh, what What is a typical game like, especially for first-time players? What could they expect? Yeah, that's a good question. So usually the advantage, again, the advantage of being in a pack and being part of a larger kind of, uh, nation that is on a footing of war is it's very easy to get orders given to you and for a mission to be given to you. So... Is a very frequent kind of first game is that a more powerful member of um, the sept, which is kind of like your local community or uh, local community leader or alpha, will come to the pack and say, I need you to go and destroy this particular bane that is connected to this particular um, fast food restaurant, for example, um, an Altulis. Um, which is an in-game kind of McDonald's reference. Um, we'll go there, and I need you to destroy this bane and then return. And obviously, that's not going to be quite as straightforward as that sounds like it will be. You'll find that the bane is actually attached to the assistant manager at the restaurant, and they're a kinfolk. Or you'll find that the bane is much stronger than you anticipated, and you have to figure out a way to uh, to separate it from the restaurant to then destroy it. Or you have to um, tech the restaurant because there are all these innocent people that are going there. You also have to find a way to destroy the bane. Uh, so there's lots of complications that can get built into that kind of basic go, destroy this thing, come back story. It's typically a lot of what you see in Werewolf is you need to go take care of this and then come back and tell us what happened kind of thing. Yeah, and that sounds really simplistic when it's put that way. I, I know, and, and I am trying to make it simplistic. <laughs> okay. Um, it's true, though, because it, it, it is a bit of a questy kind of game. 
And uh, in fact, in some versions of the rules, and there's a set of LARP rules that specifically give you quests to go and do. Um, and questing is something that werewolves view as, as kind of essential to their nature. Um, so it's not really a bad way to view the game um, as a good, like, simple introduction to it. Full disclosure for our listeners here, and, and even for you, Josh, I, I've been asking a lot of very basic questions. I know this game. I, I've read a lot of the books. I listened to Werewolf the Podcast. Um, in fact, many years ago, I was the leader of a LARP where we had 20-something werewolves and 40-something vampires. And this was a huge LARP that we ran up in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, so I don't want anybody to think, and Josh, I don't want you to think that I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm asking very layman questions because I want somebody who doesn't know this game to get an idea of what it's like. Definitely. I, I think that's a fantastic angle to take because I want people to love this game. It's one of the games that I love um, the most in the world, and I enjoy running and playing. So the more people that we can get playing it, particularly with this new edition coming soon, the better off we're going to be, I think. So with 5th edition coming soon, and we know it's going to be a year, maybe two down the road, um, what would be, if somebody were to say, Josh, I want to play Werewolf the Apocalypse, what book should I pick up? Right now, the book that I would tell someone to pick up would be the 20th anniversary edition book. Um, it covers almost everything you would have to have for a game, and even the things that it doesn't have, it references. So um, if you get that core book for 20th anniversary edition, uh, it's called W20 by most fans, or Werewolf the Apocalypse 20th anniversary edition, um, that would be a, a great book to have. It's a very big book. It's about 400 pages, um, but it's totally worth it. Um, and you're going to have everything you absolutely have to have to run a game. Pretty sure all the 20th edition books are about 400 plus pages. And some of them are, are even bigger. Don't get yeah. a page edition unless you really want to <laughs> hurt yourself with it. <laughs> exactly. Is there any other book besides that one that you would recommend people pick up? I personally would pick up um, the Changing Breeds book or and or the Umbra book. Um, both of them are really, really amazing. And the uh, Changing Breeds book, only because if you're interested in playing other shifters other than werewolves, yes, there are other animals as well that you could be. Um, it gives you an opportunity to have all the lore you would need to play a were-cat or a were-raven or uh, a were-spider or lots of other awesome things. So it's were-cat would be the best bet. Were-bear right. the Garal, if I remember correctly. Were-ravens are Korax. That's right. And where spiders is that the Noesha? The Ananasi. Oh, I was darn it. <laughs> the Noesha are the where coyotes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I it's been a while. <laughs> um so Josh, we're we're getting close to to time here, and 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 I know we could go on, which is why I want to have Carrie on the show so we can continue this conversation about this game. Um, but I want to give a chance for people to to learn about your stuff, um, learn about your show, learn about the products that you're putting out on the Storytellers Vault, or any of the other things that you're involved in. So let's take a few minutes and talk about you. So I am the host of Werewolf the Podcast. We mentioned that earlier on. And Werewolf the Podcast is a retrospective podcast where Harry and I and uh, other co-hosts and other folks with me have come on and talked about the books from the very beginning. So I started with the very first edition book. Now we're up to Book of the Weaver. So we're in 1998 at this stage. 
having gone through all of the books previous to that as they were released. And we've been a little bit slow going. I've um, had some ups and downs where we were able to record more often than not, um, but we are slowly getting through all the books and I'm really enjoying uh, diving into those and kind of talking through all of them and talking through the good parts, the bad parts, the parts that um, you might need to be aware of today that are a little bit problematic. Um, but it's definitely a fun podcast and I recommend people check that out. I recommend it as well. I greatly enjoy your show. I'm glad to hear it. And then um, as far as products on the storyteller's vault, I've got a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> that's probably. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I'm the most prolific uh, person on the Storyteller's Vault in regards of what I've published directly, as well as things that I've been involved in in one form or another, as, either as an editor or a layout artist or um, just as a support um, for someone putting something together. But um, I have a, a group of books out with uh, a writer called Neil Litherland for Werewolf that are uh, the 100 Kinfolk series. And they are a group of books that are about a hundred various kinfolk that you might meet in from every particular tribe. And I love them. I think they're really fantastic books. Um, Neil has done a great job writing them. Um, and I've just done a little bit of editing and some layout work on them. And then um, I also wrote a uh, chronicle for uh, Werewolf called uh, Werewolf the Wild West, actually, called Welcome to Purgatory, which could be used in the modern day. It's just set in the Wild West, and I really enjoy it as a book. Um, as well as I've written a whole bunch of vampire stuff as well. So, yeah, I've written quite a bunch of different things. And tell us about Higher Level Games. So High Level Games is a company that is based in Canada. Uh, I'm sorry, um, but um, we are. Uh, we're based in Edmonton, and I am actually based in the U.S., but my business partner uh, is based uh, out of Alberta. And we have as our goal um, just this desire to bring games to a higher level. And so we are a website that uh, writes articles about games and how to uh, run better games. We run a couple of different podcasts about um, gaming, and we create various products for various games uh, through our, uh, our imprint uh, at High Level Games. We recently released a fifth edition D&D supplement called Snowhaven, which is a gritty snowpunk world on the edge of uh, of own uh of the known world uh it's in its own setting um it's a bit steampunky we call it snowpunk because it has some steampunk elements in this snowy wasteland of a uh, world um as well as it just being a really um kind of pretty uh, semi-realistic um setting of course it's 5e so it's only as realistic as 5e can get um but um snowhaven is awesome and i think people should check that out and what are some games that you enjoy playing when you're not playing Werewolf? Oh, that is a great question. I love games just in general. Um, so I've played lots of different ones, but I think my absolute favorite of all time is Aberrant, which is another White Wolf game. It's a superhero uh, game, similar in some way to The Boys, if people have seen that Amazon TV show. Um, it's a great, uh, uh, great setting and a great system. Uh, and there is a second edition of that that is coming out very, very soon. Um, so hopefully folks check that out. And I also really love Star Trek Adventures. I've been playing that a lot recently. So oh, no it's a good stuff out there. Oh, I love so it. Isn't, isn't uh, the uh, Weekend of Honor this weekend? It is. And I'm, 
been so good about not buying books that I don't think I'm going to use, but I'm so <laughs> tempted to get the Klingon book because I know me too. <laughs> and it, it's, it doubles as a new core book. So I'm like, Oh, there's no reason not to get this. And then I could just run Klingon games it would be good, but maybe I'm just trying to justify it to myself. I'm not sure. Probably. So I, I absolutely love Star Trek. Star Trek is one of my favorite, uh, titles, uh, and I own a couple Star Trek adventure books. Now you talk about buying games that you're never going to use. Unfortunately, my group doesn't enjoy playing science fiction. So I have these, these Star Trek books and I don't know that I'm ever going to convince anybody to play them. However, I have invited some writers from Star Trek to come on our show and tell us about the game. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Josh, you know, we, we are we are coming to our time and, and I'd like to I do want to mention something. And I, and I think it's something that you and Carrie do really well. One of the things that Nolan and I focus on on this show or we talk a lot about on this show is and you mentioned earlier is inclusivity. We want everybody who sits down at our table to play a game or listens to our show. We want everybody to feel welcome. And it's especially with the current state of the world, um, both Nolan and I have expressed so much frustration and our support for the Black Lives Matter movement and, and everything that's going on there. Um, I, I want to commend you and Carrie for the work that you guys do in calling out this stuff and just letting people know, hey, it's here. You know, it, it's it's written this way. Be aware of it. And I really appreciate that you guys do that. And I really appreciate the effort that you're taking for inclusivity. So I just wanted to mention that. Well, thank you very much. Um something that's near and dear to my heart um that means a lot to me you know black lives matter um queer lives matter um we just got out of pride month and um it's something that uh that i think we as gamers need to remember that we spend a lot of time walking in other people's shoes and we should have uh some empathy for folks that may not yes. look like us um that ability to have empathy is something that we teach ourselves through games. So um, you know, just remember that and remember that when you are sitting down at the table to have a little bit of empathy for everybody else that's around it with you. Like I said this past week on our show, it costs you nothing to be kind. Absolutely nothing. It costs you not a damn thing to be kind. And Nolan loves to say, just be better. Just be a better person. And I, I just, again, I cannot commend you guys enough for that work because I know it is diligent work and you have to continue to do it. It's always a process, even if um, even if it seems like it shouldn't be. It's always a, a learning experience and uh, an active thing. You can't ever uh, rest on your world. I agree. Josh, we've reached the point of our show where I like to let people, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they do it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so the best way to do so is probably uh, via Twitter or Facebook. And so you can find High Level Games at um, High Level Games on Facebook or at HLG underscore corporate on Twitter. Or you can find Werewolf the Podcast at Podcast Werewolf on Twitter. Um, you can also go to highlevelgames.ca and you can learn more about High Level Games there. Fantastic. Josh, thank you so much for coming on our show and allowing me to be the total noob with Werewolf. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fantastic conversation.